2: Ritchie. Maybe yeah. on Walker. Yeah. Huge. Welcome to episode two of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast with me, Sean Barker. And me, Sam Davis. Hey, thank you so much for all the positive responses to episode one. We've been knocked out by the number of listeners and all the messages of support.
1: Yeah, thank you to you all and uh, we're glad you're enjoying the show. So we're all here, we are ready to kick off the next episode and for today's show, as per rule seven
2: of the back of the Neck manual, I am wearing the championship winning blue away shirt from last season and that's in honour of the visit to our friends Watford this past weekend.
1: Yeah, and it looks fine, Sean. Uh, I've gone for the 2001 third kit. Now, I was 12th man. Uh, we were at home, Lee Bradbury, I met him, and I'm donning that kind of lovely cream focal point fires shirt with the lovely collar. I'm surprised you didn't get a game then, Sam. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but anyway, you, you two are looking very,
2: very lovely. So, but anyway, enough about the fashion of the two presenters. Let's move on and tell you what is coming up on Back of the Net this week. We discuss the point gained at
1: Watford and hear what you all had to say about the game. Yeah, and then I'll bring you all the happenings from the online social media world over the past week.
2: Yeah, I'll have an update on all the recent club news and we're also going to have this week's supporter profile where bizarrely Robbie Savage gets a mention.
1: Hmm. And then we will have our feature all about the Cherries Trust. The brand new Supporters Trust launched this past week. Now, we'll tell you all about it, including what they plan to do to develop the relationship between the club and its fans. Yeah, and then this week's interview is with Nick Goodwin. Now, Nick is the founder
2: of the AFCB Sydney Supporters Club. So we talk about life as an overseas Cherries fan, how he came to set up the club, and whether Bournemouth can really grow their
1: fan base so far away from Dean Court. Superb. And then we'll wrap up the show with a chat about the upcoming Premier League fixture billed as El Coast. Yeah, look, somehow we're going to try and cram
2: all of that into this week's episode of Back of the Net. So get on your Bournemouth shirt and let's get going with your fan thoughts on the 1-1 draw away at Watford. But first, there's going to be a few comments from Ray Parler. They've got a point away from home. It's got to go down as a decent point. Are you worried about them? Well, there's still going to be a relegation battle there, I'm sure. But uh, today, look, they've
3: battled. A good point. Not a great game here at all. And, uh, you know, I think Eddie Howe and both managers have been more happy with taking a point back to Bournemouth. Hi, guys. uh, It's Steve from Bournemouth. I thought I'd uh, phone up and give you my thoughts of the game yesterday. Um... I think mean, before the game I would have taken a point, uh, so not too disappointed with the overall result. Uh, didn't expect a nil 0 um, but uh, I'll, I'll take it, definitely. I uh, thought the defence did, did well, which is uh, which is nice to see. Uh, great to see Maxi back, and uh, on to Tuesday. Cheers. This is Neil Weeder in West London.
2: I thought that was a really good performance today. I was really glad to see the team playing 4-4-2.
0: Uh, instead of the 4-5-1. I think Josh King, uh, we can see now why Eddie's uh, really keen on him. He's a fantastic athlete and I thought he had a great game, especially
1: for the first 75 minutes before he ran out of steam. It was obviously fantastic to see Max Gradle as well returning to the team uh, and I think we can expect a lot more from him for the rest of the season. I'm
4: Ben and I'm age 8 from Bournemouth.
1: I don't think Garlo was that good. Dini... I saw absolutely
4: nothing from him. Gradle, when he came on, he looked definitely match fit. Um, the defenders were average, really. Um, Ifobe held the ball up quite well in places,
1: but I think we deserved the win and not much to say else. So, once again, some absolutely cracking in opinions. And Ben, AJ, we really appreciate your views as well. We really need to get some younger people on the show, so that was fantastic. So, yeah, Watford and Bournemouth both missed good chances as the contest at Vicarage Road finished goalless. Hornet striker... Mojdi Nagalo probably had the best of those opportunities when his header from eight yards sailed over the bar. He also fired over from 12 yards after that quick free kick. Arterborich Boric saved very well there, but we had chances as well through Max Gradle, who came back. We didn't expect him to get a game, but he came on very early after the unfortunate junior Stanislas looks to have pulled his hamstring. But, Sean, what did you make of the game? Yeah, well,
2: uh, as a game itself, put it this way, I, I, it wasn't, quite a classic was it I actually watched I watched it live and then I actually tried to watch it again that afternoon and I must admit I got 40 minutes in and I was like oh maybe I'll just skip to the highlights but um, it was actually it was a pretty close battle but I think I think we played really well I think the intensity that we played under was really good I think we were a little bit more aggressive in getting the ball forward and and obviously we started with um, with two up top which was something we haven't seen in a while
1: yeah, there were rumors uh floating about online and Eddie Howe maybe suggested it, but uh, I was actually really pleased to um, you know, play four four two. Uh, we really recently have been sort of lacking a bit of attacking potency. So I was um I was chuffed to bits uh, you know, to see the two strikers and uh yeah, King I thought did very well throughout the whole game. Now um he then got moved out onto the right towards the end of the game because, of course, a phobia came off, Murray went up front. But he's such an effective player wherever he plays at the moment. He's um he's done really well for us. He He's just come on so much, has he? I, I, I often
2: think about there was a post on the Vidals forum where I think somebody had put, was he the worst player ever to wear a Bournemouth shirt? Wow, and wow. I think we can all... Remember Mark Watson, so the, the answers that always oh, going to be no. <laughs> yeah. but, but either way, I mean, I've just been so impressed with his the way that he's been playing. I think um, the, for me, the major points of the game one was the clean sheet. I think the, the save by Boric right in that first minute and a half was was brilliant. And I think the way that Cookie and Frano held held the two. Two pretty lethal strikers. I mean, the stat was is that the two of them, Dini and Igalo, have scored all but seven of Watford's goals this year. So to keep them quiet, I think, was a massive plus, especially after the last game where some people were talking about Distan and, and Elphick. So I think that was really, really impressive. And then obviously, I guess the big key moment really was that when it was 20 minutes in when Stanislas went down injured and we all wondered is it too early for Gradle, you know, are we going to see him this soon? But uh, watching him, mate, it's like, for me, it was like he's never left us.
1: Yeah, it was It was a really strange one, actually, because we've um, obviously seven days ago on the last podcast, we were talking about how much Juan Eterbe just depressed us. And so why wasn't he picked? Because Max Gradle came in, he performed amazingly well, but a lot of people on Twitter were saying, how come it wasn't Juan Iturbe? Um, but fully justified, though, wasn't it? Max Gradle put in an absolute blinder. Could have won it for us a couple of times. Um, there was that header from the Josh King cross. Um, and again, there was a, a sort of moment uh, about 75 minutes in where he managed to sort of turn, drag the ball back, and then had a shot sort of on the volley. And once again, you know, Gomez seemed to be our nemesis.
2: Yeah, he did. It was just, you know, Grader was just so positive on the ball, which I think was the biggest thing. Every time he got it, he looked to hurt Watford, you know, and it gave us the pace and it gave us a bit more of a direction, I think. Um, Which So I definitely, you know, that is such a plus. It's like we've had a new February transfer window, as far as I'm concerned, and we've just gone and signed one of the best players we could have bought. Like him coming back is such a big boost for us. But I think generally across the park, um, interesting about Afobe, some comments around Afobe. Obviously, he didn't really have any goal-scoring opportunities. Um, For some reason, it's two weeks in the row now, pretty much our best goal-scoring opportunities keep falling to Dan Gosling. And obviously yeah. we had last week we had that that header, oh. and then this week i don 't know whether when the ball came it kind of flipped off and whether he was trying to control it
1: or i don 't know but mm. i just i just don 't think he was aware it was coming. it was almost like a last minute yeah he didn 't expect it um, and the, you know the contact was you know was abysmal really um, to be fair, just like the header <laughs> uh, only last week but um yeah it's it 's a shame. In the in the post-match interview, Eddie Howe says we need to be more clinical. I certainly agree with that. We had a number of shots on goal. Um, Harry Arter had one of his usual left-footed, well, I mean, it was a cracking strike. Howe thought it was in. You saw afterwards on Match of the Day, the reactions. Uh, I mean, I don't know what it must have been like from his angle, but he thought it was in. But, um, you know, it turned out to be a cracking save. But in General, I thought the second half was a lot better than the first half. I mean, the first half we were very assured. Uh, there Watford had more of the ball, but they didn't sort of pose that much of a threat. I think overall, though, there was a stat that the player with the most completed passes for Watford was actually the goalkeeper. <laughs> what about that? Well, we,
2: I guess we couldn't, shouldn't be surprised, really. But I mean, at the end of the day, given uh, the result you would take a point is the cliche but it is absolutely true when the final whistle went i was a little bit disappointed given the better chances we had and i and i think we deserved to win the game so i think three points but at the end of the day we've got to respect the position that watford are in in the league we picked up a point we kept a clean sheet and we've got maxi gradle back
1: Yeah, very much so. Well, later on in the show, we're going to be discussing El Clasico. That's the match against Southampton. And, of course, if you want more on the Watford game, of course, you can listen to a kick-by-kick analysis on the All Departments podcast, which this week features Chris Whiteley. But now on Back of the Net, it's time for my online review of the last seven days. So after the sort of disappointment at home to Everton last week, the online world of AFC Bournemouth was mainly focusing on the build up to the weekend's match against Watford. The rivalry which we have with the Hornets is somewhat baffling and in my mind surely it's only down to the bitter resentment they feel after losing the title with the last kick of their game at Vicarage Road. We've often had close games with the side in yellow and they've provided a lot of talking points. Sendings off, horrible tackles, gifted goals and much more besides. However, this season, it's got to be said that our Hertfordshire counterparts have had a tremendous season. And at one point, it even felt like there was even a mutual respect between the two sets of supporters. Now whilst it was always expected that tensions would get that little bit more talk closer to match day, there was a frankly bizarre article in the week penned by WD Sport, some sports publication, which seemed to stir this rivalry once more. It said that a vacancy has arose for a new foe, one the fans can get their teeth stuck into at least twice a season. Indeed, Watford season ticket holder Stephen Baldwin said, We don't play Luton anymore, so we need to dislike someone on a comparable level to us. Apparently, though, according to the article, this rivalry actually started a lot earlier than expected, unbeknown to us, apparently in 2013. Now, according to them, it's because Bournemouth are a bunch of diving cheats and get penalties all the time. Just like that penalty, of course, we got on Saturday when their defender blatantly handballed it. Not. However, when it came to the game itself, well, there was a fair amount to get agitated about, starting with the matchday programme, where the editor thought it was right to print an illustration of a cartoon Union O'Kane having his ankle as good as broken in that game on Sky where we won 2-0. However, the creator of the image was very quick to apologise. Alex Bennett, an illustrator, very good one at that said, apologies to ASCB for the O'Kane cartoon in the programme, no offence intended, just a simple misjudgment good luck for the rest of the season Well done Alex, it's a shame officials from your club can't do the same. And Neil Meldrum, the Echo deputy editor said the same thing. It's good of the illustrator but where's the apology from the club stroke programme editor? We can only assume they've got a fair few chips still on their shoulders, not that we can really tell as it's somewhat camouflaged by their shirt. Now the game itself led to some standard knee-jerk tweets from Watford fans, including Sam Baz who tweeted, The one thing I took from yesterday, Harry Arter spends more time yelling at the ref than he does playing. Get on with it. And subsequently, Hornet fan Rich Mortimer tweeted, Awful afternoon of football. AFCB are the worst niggly, foul diving ref-back chatters I've seen this season. I pity people watching that each week. Well, obviously, Rich Mortimer, you were so bored by your own team's football, you researched the AFCB hashtag for that one. Well done. But then, to be honest, I would also be annoyed if the most successful amount of passes made from a Watford player was the goalkeeper Gomez. Not my words, the words of Opta Joe, the statsman himself. It was 37, by the way. But the vitriol after the game seemed to die down. An aide in the Vital Forum said, I spoke to a grey-haired Watford fan yesterday, and he couldn't believe the dislike for us. He highlighted the controversial decisions, but felt it would have died down by now hadn't we sneaked the title at the death. He seemed like a very balanced fan. And this view was echoed by Red Harry who said, I must admit, I thought there might be a bit more of a volatile atmosphere yesterday, but it was a bit subdued, both in the town and during the game. They didn't even bother responding to our champion age chart, Come to the conclusion that the vitriol was just a few keyboard warriors who have to ask permission from their mum if they want to go to a game during term time. Watford as a whole is a bit of a dump though. Nice final cutting remark there, Harry. Okay, well enough, let's finally put this to bed and move on. Right, now where's the button for the next bit of music? I think it's this one. Well, can Sheffield Wednesday get an equalizer?
2: Maguire tosses the ball in. New Year on the stretch. Here's Mello, lifts the ball high. Dini is there defending the edge of the six-yard box. Danger's still not cleared. Wednesday, new Year's there! And Wednesday have equalized! The Wednesday fans behind the goal go absolutely bananas! And that could be a real Let's game change. the changer.
1: Oops, sorry about that, couldn't resist. Oh well, at least our next fixture is one where there's no pretend rivalries. Who are we playing again? Oh, scummers. The good news, though, was the return of Max Gradle, who came off the bench to great effect on Saturday. Peter Bell wrote on Cherry's Chimes, Each time he did get fouled, I prayed that he would get up straight away, and it was good that he came through the game safely. It must have been a very hard game for him. Now, Eddie will have to consider what is best to do on Tuesday night against Southampton. Juan Aterbe and Mark Pugh could be available, so there's strength even there with the injury to Junior Stanislas. Should be an interesting game, so remember to follow us on Twitter on at AFCB Podcast, where we'd love to hear your views. This
2: is Steve Jones, and you're listening to Back of the Net. Junior Stanislas could be out of action for a while. Stanislas, one of the standout players of this season, looks set to have a lengthy spell on the sideline after pulling up sharply in the game against Watford with a hamstring injury. Eddie Howe told the media during his post-match press conference that it is a real blow and he will have a scan to assess the extent of the injury. Fingers crossed it won't be too long until we see number 19 back on the park in the red and black. Charlie Daniels signs New Deal. After signing a new three-and-a-half-year contract, Daniels told Cherry's player that he feels privileged to have been offered the contract and he thinks it is important there is loyalty to those who have been doing well and to keep the nucleus together. In other Charlie Daniels news, Neil Perrett from the Bournemouth Echo tweeted following the Watford game that Roy Hodgson made a final check on AFCB's Charlie Daniels today before naming him in England squad for next month's friendlies. After this, a story appeared in the Daily Mirror also stating that Daniels is in line for what they called a shock call-up. Unless you've actually watched Charlie Daniels play this year, in which case, not much of a shock. Future Cherries receive professional contracts. The future could well be bright for six young hopefuls who have been offered professional terms with the club. Ollie Harfield, Matt Neal, Keelan O'Connell, Callum Stanton... Sam Surridge and Matt Worthington have all been offered contracts having impressed during their time in the youth team as well as in appearances for Stephen Purchase's under-21 side. And Surridge certainly impressed our very own Sam during last week's back-of-the-net feature on the youth team scoring a hat-trick in the full three defeat by Portsmouth. Facebook group Chip In to Get New Shirt for Heart Attack Victim. Bournemouth fan Dave suffered a heart attack during the Stoke City home game and during his medical support, the AFCB shirt he was wearing had to be cut off him. Jenna Dunham from the Cherry Girls Facebook group collected donations from fellow members and then posted a photo on the AFCB Loud and Proud Facebook group to show Jenna handing over a brand new replacement shirt to Dave. Reports are that he was recovering well and hopes to be back in the sands soon. Great work, ladies, and all the best to Dave. A-S-E-B Club
1: News. Yeah, thanks, Sean, for that news review. And uh, well done, Jenna Dunham. What an excellent, excellent idea. And Dave, as Sean said, do get well soon.
2: Yeah, that's good, isn't it? Good to see us good support around amongst our fellow Cherries fans. And uh, just going back to that online review there, Sam, I can never tire of hearing those Sheffield Wednesday fans singing our name. Glorious moment. And still, thank you forevermore, Sheffield Wednesday. But next on Back of the Net, we're now going to move on to Sam's feature of the week, which this week is about Cherry's Trust, which is the brand new supporters' trust that's just been launched. So Sam finds out more about that, as well as also
1: discussing the 20's Plenty ticket campaign. So, big game today at Watford. Uh, whilst personally, I'm I'm feeling good and confident that we can get something out of this game. Um, off the pitch, there seems to be a bit of good news too. So, upon checking out Twitter this morning, I saw a follow from Cherry's Trust. Uh, and no and behold, after a quick bit of delving, it seems to be that the idea of having supportive representation in some way, shape or form has been rekindled through a number of Cherry supporters. And they've got together to form a new trust which by the looks of it will be launching towards the end of the season in my opinion and many people's opinions of course having some kind of dialogue between clubs and fans is an absolute must i mean especially at premier league level
0: the pass, turning
2: up the now Portman. matt Ritchie with a really-
1: what a goal that was. AFC Bournemouth, of course, we're a small club competing in the most watched football league in the world. And um, I think it's too easy for clubs to get consumed by the money merry-go-round of the Premier League. Fans want to be treated as supporters, not customers. So it's fantastic at this early stage in what will hopefully be a long Premier League stint that uh, the club seems to be open to the principle of the Cherries Trust Now, of course, this uh, kind of scheme's been around previously via a few different names, uh, and they've all generally successfully worked with the club, and it sort of helped to create a closer bond between the fans and the club. Now, one of the major concerns of the Cherries Trust, like many supporter groups in the Premier League, is that of ticket pricing versus TV money. So with the money gained from tickets being a drop in the ocean compared to the TV money that is received, there's really no excuse for these extortionate ticket prices. And even recently, as you've probably seen, the fan power at Anfield was evident. And they voted with their feet, refusing to back the club on their plan to introduce £77 matchday tickets. So we spoke to a few people before the game to see what they would realistically pay for an away day. Andy Clark, lifelong Cherry fan. Yeah, I guess I would pay up to thirty-five quid. Uh, you got to take into account this TV malarkey. Yes, hello, sir. What's your name? I'm Ian from Ferndown. And what are your thoughts? Probably no more than
4: twenty-five pounds. Now that I'm retired, um, yeah, twenty-five pounds.
0: Hey, uh, yeah, my name's Joel Fabian, and um, yeah, it's a bit of a debate, this, isn't it? I think um, with the the crazy TV cash coming in, I think twenty-five quid some some people are like campa- campaigning for 20 quid um is is definitely fair for an away ticket but you uh, know that's just my point
1: mm, so uh, i mean a few varied opinions there and even in many other brief conversations i've had with fans 35 quid was generally the top whack um, but fans groups, however, have come together and decided that 20 is plenty, agreeing the price of £20 that represents good value for money for the fans, as well as not being unreasonable to the clubs themselves. Now, this campaign is certainly gaining momentum, and on YouTube, fans of all clubs have come together to emphasise this common message. Over the past 25 years, money has poured into the beautiful game. Chairmen have benefited. Players have benefited. Agents have benefited. The only people who haven't benefited are the people who breathe life into the beautiful game. People like you and me. The fans. The fans. The
2: fans. The fans. The
1: fans. The fans. The fans. The fans. The fans. The fans. As a great man once said, football without fans is nothing. And if the current trend continues, football is set to price out even the most ardent of fans. That's why we support the football supporters. federations call for a cap on away tickets. It's at £20. 20 is plenty. Join the weekend of action on the 3rd and 4th of October. And make your voice heard. So as you probably did see, at Vicarage Road at the weekend, the 20's plenty banner was unveiled with the Cherries trust address on it and just to be clear the campaign is for away tickets 20 really is plenty when you have to consider all the other expenses of traveling to an away game as well fuel food expenses the lot but uh, we spoke to Stu bramley he's one of the fans behind the scheme there's been a lot of activity on twitter over the weekend with uh what seemed like a sort of soft launch of the cherries trust um can you tell us a little more about it
4: yeah, it's been a lot of comment online on social media and on the forums for a long time about the lack of effective representative groups of supporters. Every time a mm. supporter issue comes up, in fact, whether it's loyalty points, safe standing or ticket prices, we keep lamenting the fact that we don't have anyone to speak up for us. In my opinion, we've done ourselves yeah. a bit of a disservice in recent years by not being organised. It's pretty hard for us to criticise the club for not consulting widely when there's no organised groups to speak of through which they can consult the fans. Yeah. So with that in mind, on July 23rd I think it was last year I sent a first draft of a supporters manifesto that I'd written to a handful of fans who viewed I respect and trust to try and get some feedback and start a discussion about a new supporters trust
1: Mm. Uh, I gather you've sort of managed to have some some quite positive dialogue with some officials from the club
4: yeah we want to be able to go to the fans with a truly viable proposition again there's been a bit of online criticism that we met with the club before having had a public meeting with the fans but it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing.
0: Yeah. If
4: it had been the other way round, then the first thing we'd have been asked would have been whether the club would recognise us, and if they were willing to talk to us. Yeah. We wanted to be able to give answers to those questions, and it's really hard to answer them if we hadn't gone to the club and asked them in the first place. Okay. Most importantly, though, trust is going to be very important between all parties as we move forward. Yep. We unanimously felt that it was the right thing to do, out of courtesy to the club as much as anything, to let them know of our plans and forewarn them of our intentions before anything became public. As a result, we've had one meeting with the club. It was very positive, positive. Yeah. and all parties want to look forward now and not back. Lines of communication are open, and we have a relationship embryonic as it is, and that alone is a quantum leap forward from where we were.
1: Mm. Okay, so I mean, at the Watford game, the twenty, the twenties, plenty banner was unveiled. Um, I presume this is just sort of one of many issues that. With Supporters Direct, the Trust is going to aim to tackle?
4: Yeah, we support 20s Plenty and the wider yeah. issue of keeping football accessible to the whole community. But we're by no means coming together around the issue of ticketing alone. We'll go our own way on this as appropriate for the circumstances of this club. We would not support walkouts at Dean Court, like those seen at Liverpool, for example, as it would be massively counterproductive in the context of our embryonic relationship with the club board. That's yeah. a last resort when things are broken down, not something you do when you're trying to build bridges.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. So, I mean, what what's on the timeline for the Cherries Trust? I mean, from what I'm reading, um, you, there'll be some open elections in the closed season.
4: Is that, is that right? Right now, we're looking at the next phase of our launch coming in April. Okay. It might happen sooner, but we're giving ourselves a bit of contingency so we're not butting up against the deadline. At yeah. that stage, the full website will be launched, the redrafted manifesto will be published, the new constitution and policies will be released, and we'll be open for membership applications. There'll be a public meeting, straight launch event, sometime between the publication and the first elections, which are timetable for the closed season. Hmm. Our membership year is going to run in line with the football season, i.e. from July, the 3rd, July the 1st to June the 30th, yeah. and our intention is for the electoral terms to be broadly in line with that as well, going forwards. No, good stuff, good
1: stuff. Okay, well big thanks to Stu Bramley for speaking to us here at the ACB Podcast. Remember the Cherries Trust is at Cherriestrust.co.uk. And if you want to hear the full unedited, unabridged version of those sound bites, head over to our website. It is AFCBpodcast.com
0: Support and Profile. Please state your name. Mark. Where do you live? Wellington, New Zealand. First Bournemouth game attended. I'm not sure what the first game I would have been to was. Um, the first one I can really remember was a Cup replay against Wimbledon. I guess about 40 years ago. Uh, um, we lost in extra time. Uh, if we'd won, we'd have gone on to play Saints, which is why I remember it. Favorite player of all time and why? Uh. I th- a bit, a bit um, left field. I'm going to go for Brett Pittman because um, his goals were so important in us getting uh, three promotions, um, and he scored some fantastic goals. He's the best natural finisher I've ever seen at the club. Favorite current player and why? Uh, I'm going to go for Mark Pew. Um, he's uh, he's really improved each each division we've been, and he's stepped up to the mark. Uh, he's got some great skills. He seems comes across as a genuinely nice guy. Favorite all-time AFCB game. I'm going to go for the game against uh, Grimsby in the Great Escape two season uh, when Fletch scored the winner. Uh, it's probably the, the best um, live game that I've seen in in terms of um, atmosphere and what it meant to the club. Best moment as a Bournemouth fan. Um, it's a toss-up between the Bolton game and the Charlton game at the end of last season. Um, I'm going to go for the Bolton game, um, just because that was the point where where we got the um, Premiership place, um, and that was just unbelievable to me. If you could sign any player, past or present, who would it be, and why? Um. I think I'm going to go... I I could go for Messi, but everyone else is going to go for Messi. So I'm going to go for Robbie Savage, just so I could make him sit on the bench, or ideally within the reserves. Your chart of choice. Uh, Dirty Northern Bastards, um, something to anyone north of Ringwood, basically. Stadium expansion or new ground. I think with that, I'm, I'm really torn, but I think if it had been the old Dean Court with the crumbling terraces, I'd have said um, stadium expansion and redevelop that, but it doesn't feel quite the same to me now, so I'm going to go for a new ground um, where you'd have more room to uh, for, for parking, um, bigger, bigger um, stands potentially, um, and probably more income from um, hospitality and all that sort of stuff that we need. What league position will we finish in this season? I think we'll stay up. I think it won't be by much, so I'm going to go for 16th.
2: Thanks to Mark for being this week's supporter profile and great call about Robbie Savage. And uh, prior to that, we had Sam's feature there all about Cherry's Trust. So I wish everybody involved with that all the best of luck. And uh, hopefully that could be a good, long-standing relationship with the club. And also, yeah, fascinating hearing about the 20s Plenty campaign. Down here in Wellington, New Zealand, I have the Wellington Phoenix, which is my team that play in the Australian A-League. And bearing in mind all the teams that come to travel to play us come from Australia, the clubs generally just give the away fans free tickets, so they don't have to pay. But then, you know, they have come across the water, Uh, including my old mate Rob Frank, who I used to watch Bournemouth with for many years, who's now Sydney Red, and he supports the Dirty Sydney Blues. And uh, he came over for a game, and it it was quite interesting. We got to have a beer before the game, but wearing different shirts, and then he carded off with uh, probably seven of them in the away end, and... I tried to get the chant of you could have come on a kayak, you could have come on a kayak, but they just didn't get it, but never
1: mind. <laughs> in a kayak. Well, it's great to know that we've got global appeal here. It's not just Wimborne, Ringwood and Ferndown like it was in the League Two days. We've got supporters all over the globe. Sean, is in New Zealand, of course, and there are other supporters over the other side of the world too. Now, in this week's interview, Sean caught up with Nick Goodwin, who heads up the AFC Bournemouth Sydney Supporters Club. Hi, Nick, and welcome to Back of the Net.
3: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: No worries at all. So,
2: um, Nick, we're just going to start off. When did you start supporting the club?
3: Actually, it's quite funny um, how it all started, because I'd lived in Spain for eight years prior to arriving in, uh, in Poole, and um, three weeks um, upon arriving, I got an invite from a mate of mine to come along, not a ticket, but just to, just to come outside Dean Court on the 5th of May, 1990. And uh, I'm not sure if people remember dates that well, but that was the date of the Leeds invasion of Bournemouth. And um, yeah, and it all went from there. So uh, uh, that was uh, what started it all. And I thought it was a normal normal for people to be rioting and running around stadiums outside England because that's all you saw in Spain, you know, so, apart from stadiums burning and, and uh, all that sort of stuff. So, um, so I thought that was normal behaviour. But, but um, that's how I started, that's how Bournemouth journey started for me. And then, of course, the next, uh, the next fixture I went to was probably a Tuesday night and a cold and rainy evening against Scunthorpe United. So a big change there.
2: Now, you, you now live in Sydney. How long have you been in Australia?
3: Australia for about, uh, oh, let me see, 16, 17 years. Mm, yeah, so, uh, so let me see. I can't remember what the last match, the Bournemouth match was, but uh, uh, it was certainly before the Wembley outing against, uh, uh, I was going to say Geisley, but that was the FA Vars, um, against uh, Grimsby, that's right. Um, so it was before then. So yeah, I hadn't, hadn't been to Dean Court for a while, but um, yeah, 17 years in Australia.
2: Now, before we get on to the kind of history of the AFCB Sydney supporters, just for those, you know, that do live in other parts of the world, like myself, can you just explain for those that are close what it's like being a Cherries fan a long, long way from base camp?
3: Uh, it means getting up early in the morning. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, I think there's two parts to that. Uh, being a Cherries fan before we reached the championship, it was pretty much uh, relying on the, uh, on the blog. Uh, Twitter feeds and um, and uh, pretty much that was it. And being a Cherries fans with life in the Championship and now in the Premier League, it's um, I say it's a lot easier in terms of being able to watch them live. Um, so so yes, I, I reckon that's a two that's a two sided story. But uh, I'd like to kind of focus on the on the life in the Premier League. It's uh, it's great. It really is great, and um, it's frustrating as well because you know. Um, you, want to be, you want to be in the stands with, with all the other fans and yet, uh, you know, we're about 12,000 kilometres away and so that's why, yeah, I, I decided to create AFC, uh, AFCB Sydney uh, in the first place is to try and share those frustrations and joys and, and tears uh, with, a, with a few other people.
2: So how did it come about in terms of the club? Did you know any other Bournemouth fans or was it just you? How did, how did you get going?
3: It's interesting because uh, with each new fan I met in the uh, first uh, within the first year, everyone, they all thought they were the only Bournemouth fan. So uh, it was interesting because um, it all started with the Wigan FA Cup um, uh, fixture. And um, I remember there had been a, a screening of a FA Cup fixture maybe a couple of years before 2012. And I was a bit disappointed not to have gone down to Star City Casino to watch it. Um, so I thought this time around I'm gonna um I only just recently returned from England from, from a visit when we were still in League One. And um I decided right, well, I had previous experience with uh, creating supporters clubs with my uh my Spanish club which is Arc D Espanol of Barcelona. And um I thought, look, if uh, if we're ever gonna get something started we're gonna have to create something out of nothing. So that's how we started, uh Twitter, Facebook account, um, call it AFCD Sydney, befriend a few people from Dorset and, uh, and create it that way. And one by one, uh, they started coming out. And it's interesting because uh, every now and then there'd be a, oh, I saw a guy in a red and white, uh, red and black shirt. Oh, it must have been, was it you? Was it me? No. So um, bit by bit, I got to meet a few people and I'd wear my, uh, my red and black shirt for a Socceroos match. And uh, bumped into uh, Rob, uh, Rob Frank, and uh, and so, so I got to know a few people from the blog, and then just just grouping them together. So bit by bit, I remember our first uh, get together was uh, the Wigan. Me and uh, a guy called Kieran, who now uh, Kieran Davies that lives in back in uh, in England, it was just him and I uh, following the uh, the Wigan FA Cup match on uh Cherry's player at a cafe in Winyard. That's how we all started. So, yeah, different uh, different times, but uh, now uh, we're pretty much roughly about forty fifty uh, uh, supporters in the Sydney area. So that's pretty good.
2: And what is it in I mean, in terms of the club, is it its focused predominantly around meeting up to watch the games now?
3: I think so. That's definitely the uh, the the initial. The initial um drive was to try and gather uh, as many people as possible. Um, but with these things, these things always evolve. So you always look at what else can we do, what else can we can we uh, meet up the current? but how about getting a few more Aussie supporters on board? you know and um and uh, recently you, you may have heard that we we helped set up the uh, FCB Central Coast, which is for those years from England, it's about a ninety minute uh, drive north of Sydney. Uh, to the areas of Gosford and Wyong, to the entrance. So it's um, it's, a, it's a beautiful area of, of New South Wales, and there we we created the uh, co-created the um, Central Coast brands, and that that was a fantastic um, fantastic uh, event we had a couple of weeks ago up there. And this is where involvement with community comes in because then we find out a few more people, and then we raise money for charity, and then we involve local venues. Um, and uh, basically we established in Sydney a good relationship, relationship with the Cheers Bar, uh, which is predominantly a Liverpool and Celtic bar, but, um, you know, we've all got to start somewhere, and so it's not just meeting up. It's also about brand awareness in one sense when you look at it from a marketing perspective is getting the Bournemouth brand out there and and, um, and getting people involved and, and you know, charities and, and, and other people and venues. I mean, it's all in the big mix.
2: And now you've got kind of two clubs. Are there plans to open more around the rest of Australia?
3: Um, I'd love to love to see more. I mean, look, I will tell you what—the um, the Facebook post that Bournemouth placed um, uh, the link to the website that it was on Facebook generates a huge response. Uh, sponsor, over a hundred and something shares, um, two thousand likes, and um, a, a lot on a lot of comments and. Um, to be honest, I, I, I can see a Perth club coming up this year um, and Adelaide and Brisbane, uh, Gold Coast, uh, even Sunshine Coast, Melbourne. Uh, those are the definite, definite uh, potential, uh, you know, potential areas. Uh, it all has to... I guess <clears throat> there can be a whole bunch of supporters in those places, but it takes someone to organise and um, to establish relationships with venues. Uh, and to keep it going, so to speak. So we're just waiting for people to to, you know, to come up to step up to the plate and and say let's do this, you know. So um, there's the danger of actually trying to force the issue. So look, I think sooner or later there'll be there'll be four or five new AFC Bournemouth uh, supporters clubs in Australia. Whether that takes four months or four, four years um, is up. Yes, we don't know, but um, I think there's definitely a, a big population of uh, Cherries fans here in Australia. So we just have to uncover them and, uh, and, and regroup them. So I think, yeah, I think there will be, there will be more supporters groups. Whether we're involved or not, um, that's, um, you know, um, that's, you know, we're here, we're here to help. That's for sure. Any any guidance and any uh, advice, uh, we're, we're happy to, to provide that. So let's hope the answer is yes and, um, and we'll have a few more soon. Hi, my name is Klaus
1: Jorgens,
4: and you listen to Back at the Net.
1: Fantastic interview, Sean. Thought you came across really well there and uh, it's fantastic to know that people are spreading the AFC Bournemouth word far and wide.
2: Yeah, Nick's doing a really great job there in Australia. So if you are interested in getting involved in his groups, then on Twitter or Facebook it is at AFCB Sydney for Twitter or AFCB Sydney supporters, and you'll be able to find Nick and the crew. Uh, but he's also just recently set up on Twitter an account which is AFCB Australia, and the idea is just follow that and get in contact, and that's to try and help anyone else across Australia who wants to set up a group similar to Sydney. And of course, if you're across the ditch in New Zealand, just give me a buzz and we can hang out at my joint and watch the games.
1: Superb. Well, we're nearly done on today's episode of Back of the Net. Now, if you're listening on the day that this came out, it's match day. So tonight, Southampton are visiting Dean Court. It's live on BT Sport in the UK. Now, Sean, I would ask you for a prediction, but mm, judging by what you said seven days ago, I'm not sure I will. It's going to be... I think it's going to be a tough game. I've
2: got a feeling it's going to be a goal fest. I'm going to go 3-2 to to us, possibly even 4-3. I reckon it's going to be a classic. (laughs) No, that's not fair. That's not fair. You've edited that, Sam Davis. You have edited that. I I carry... I could specifically remember I ended that. That was a comma, not a full stop. I said, but no doubt that means it will be nil-nil. Thus, surely I got <laughs> it
1: absolutely right. So, anyway, I mean, it is going to be a tough game tonight. Um, I don't know whether we're going to go 4-4-2. I'd like to think that we would. I've got a feeling he may start with exactly the same 11, of course, without Junior Stanislas. Probably Max Gradle's going to start. I mean, what are you thinking? Well,
2: I I think... Based on Gradle, for me, I know they said they need to manage his time, but uh, I actually am going to go out. Here we go. Here's my prediction for this week. <laughs> okay. I think we're actually going to revert to one up top again. I don't think we'll go four four two, but I reckon we're going to start Gradle out on the left, and we're going to start King out on the right with a phobe, and I think Gosling's going to come up back in to give us the three. Just mm. I think I think the back four and the goalkeeper pick themselves. I think we get those three, we keep them tight, and then we play with the three up the top, which now we've got Gradle back, and now turbe starting to come into his own. I think we may well see the beginnings of another tweak to Eddie's system, and I think we may see the two wide men, imagine it was a Gradle and then King, or Gradle and Iturbe, cutting in, going in mm. behind a phobe, while we've still got the fullbacks pushing up. Have you got a tactical whiteboard in your bedroom? It sounds like you have. Oh, totally. Yeah, no, I use the alphabets for my baby on the fridge and I move them into the positions. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So, I mean, what's your prediction then, Sean? Based on last week's, don't record me this time, OK? I reckon it's a a Tuesday night, under the lights, it's the El Coast. It's a 2-1
1: victory for the Cherries. I was going to say the same thing, but... I'm going to be different and say 2-0. Now, of course, some of our listeners may be listening hungover on Wednesday. Maybe they've been celebrating all night, or maybe they haven't. Maybe they've been commiserating themselves. So you'll be looking forward now to the Newcastle game. Now, that's going to be on Saturday. That's a long, old trip. And i tell you what, we've done brilliant in terms of ticket sales for that. So a big applause to everyone who's, I think, nearly 3,000 tickets. But, Sean, your thoughts on that game?
2: Yeah, I think that's going to be massive. Like having three thousand is tremendous. So well done to everyone who's getting up all that way to watch that game. Yeah. Um. I think given these two games, if we can pick up four points over these next two games, I'd be pretty happy. But man, it would be great to go and smash the tune there, wouldn't it?
1: Mm, I'm thinking a one nil, a one nil win, but. We'd like to know your predictions as well. If you give us a tweet, we are at AFCB Podcast. And of course, if you haven't done it already, please, please, please like us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash AFCB Podcast.
4: Hi, this is Gary Chapman, the bloke
0: who
2: stands in the back of the North stand shouting up the cherries. You're listening to Back of the Net. So thank you very much for downloading or listening online to Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. We really appreciate your support and, uh, yeah, do hope you enjoy the show each and every week. Coming up, there's a couple of exciting things I can give you a little sneaky peek about. One is that it looks like we've got a couple of cracking ex-players lined up for some interview slots. So once I've got those confirmed and in the can, I will tell you more. But definitely worth checking out over the next week or so because we should have a couple of ex-stars Popping in for a chat. And big, big news. This is like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory with the golden tickets. Thanks to the shirt sponsors, Mansion, we will be giving away two tickets to the AFC Bournemouth versus Swansea game on Saturday the 12th of March. So if you're not already, we recommend that one, you follow us on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash AFCB podcast, or on Twitter, it's at afcb podcast because we're going to be announcing the competition over the next week and how you can win and that is two tickets to bournemouth versus swansea
1: wow and what a prize that is well that's it for today's episode do remember to subscribe if you haven't already this has been back of the net the afc bournemouth podcast with sean and sam we'll be back next week